coming up what to do with madison bumgarner looking ahead to the dbacks 2023 schedule and it's time to call up corbin carroll discussing all that on today's podcast you are locked on diamondbacks your daily arizona diamondbacks podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer, so please check out my website, MillerThomas24, then myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. If you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account, or just look up Locked On Dimebacks on both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. And of course, thank you for making Locked On Dimebacks your first listen every day. Not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. It's free and available on all platforms, so please continue to tell your friends. Um, today's episode is also brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And follow us on YouTube as well. Locked on Dimebacks on there as well. Locked on Dimebacks on YouTube. And if you're watching the YouTube channel, you saw me just take off my headphones because uh, I had the noise canceling on and it would just really just. If you guys have noise canceling headphones, I have these Bose Q3s. They're really good headphones, but when you have that noise canceling on high, it feels like you're ears are like plugged almost it feels like your ears my one co-worker has this funny joke where he says it feels like your ears are holding your breath when you have the noise cancel noise cancellation on for your headphones and that feels pretty accurate um so i'm not a huge fan of having the noise canceling headphones on when i do my podcast i had it on to start this podcast because my roommate he also does video so i didn't want to hear him as i did my pods but i just couldn't do it with the headphones anymore so i took it off so that's why i might have sounded a little weird in the beginning because i couldn't even hear myself talk the noise cancellation is so strong in those headphones but enough talk about headphones let's get into the podcast because i i have a whole bunch i want to discuss with you guys today but first want to start with madison bumgarner because mad bum is going to be skipped in his next start in the rotation and his next start is going to be skipped in the rotation and for madison bumgarner the guy who's still owed i think 40 million dollars through 2024 it's like, what do we do with this guy? That's the big question now for the D-backs. What do you do with Madison Bumgarner and that fat contract? Because there's a few options you could do. You could DFA him and eat all the money. You could trade him, still eat most of the money, and maybe have to send a decent prospect back in that package. You could keep starting him for the rest of this season, next season, or you could give him that Caleb Smith, Luke Weaver treatment and turn him into a reliever. So there are options for the D-backs. There are just not a lot of great options with what to do with Madison Bumgarner because this will be the second time this month that Mad Bum has had a start pushback in August. If you guys remember back on August 3rd, he was supposed to start. His start got pushed back two days to August 5th because Tommy Henry made his debut back on August 3rd, and thank God he did because right now, Tommy Henry's looking like the solidified number three, four, five starter in the D-backs rotation. He looks like he's going to have a great shot of making the rotation next season. But back to Madison Bumgarner, who is just struggling in the month of August. And the extra rest that Mad Bum received at the beginning of the month didn't really help his performance issues because 
Matt Bum has made some comments this past month that maybe his arm is a little fatigued. It's a little tired. He's got a little dead arm because um, when you look at the stats, they're pretty bad for Madison Bumgarner in the month of August. So it would lead you to believe that he's dealing with some dead arm issues, fatigue issues. But that's really disappointing to hear when you consider the amount of volume Madison Bumgarner has pitched this season because it's not like he's had a huge workload. It's not like we've asked Madison Bumgarner to go out there and pitch seven innings every start, 120 pitches, and he's going to rack up 200 innings pitch on the season. No, that's not the case. Madison Baumgartner this season is averaging 5.3 innings pitch per game and 91 pitches per game. Like, solid stats, but not something that's overbearing on your arm. Maybe for someone who's had, you know, such a long track record like Madison Baumgartner before, your normal starting pitcher, like, that's not a ton of mileage to have on your arm over the course of a regular season. And when you consider the money that he's getting paid, like, Madison Bumgarner should be able to take that kind of volume if he's getting paid over $20 million in a season. And right now, it's not even like he has the highest workload on his own team. He's currently third on the D-backs in innings pitch with Cal with uh, Zach Gallen and Merrill Kelly ahead of him. And when you think about the D-backs rotation right now, Kelly, Gallen, and Davies are all getting better as the season wears on, while Madison Bumgarner is continuing to fade down the stretch. And Merrill Kelly, look, he doesn't have the mileage of Madison Bumgarner, but I think he is, what, a year older than Madison Bumgarner? Merrill Kelly's like 33 years old, and it seems like every season, Merrill Kelly's getting better. It seems like as the season wears on, Merrill Kelly's getting better. But for Massive Bumgarner, I get it. He's old, got a long track record. But considering he was like 30 when the D-back signed him, he shouldn't be this bad. And in the month of August... It's been the worst Madison Bumgarner we've seen all season. He's got 7.94 ERA in the month of August in the month of August, nearly a 1000 OPS allowed. And when you contrast that with how he started the season, that first month of the year, I was like Madison Bumgarner, not that he might be back, but he might be greatly improved and look like a solid number three starting in rotation with the help of Brent Strom, the Brent Strom effect. But the Brent Strom effect wore off after a month because the first 23 innings pitch for Madison Bumgarner, 1.17 ERA, a 183 average allowed, a 597 OPS allowed. Phenomenal stats those first month, even though when you actually watch the game, you're like, yeah. He's probably not as good as his ERA suggests. He is better than what we've seen the first couple of years, but he's probably not that 1.17 ERA guy. But nonetheless, you're like, to start the season, this is by far the best massive Bumgarner we've seen in a D-backs uniform. Even though it's a little bit smoke and mirrors, this is still the best case scenario we could get from massive Bumgarner when working with Brent Strom. But... Since that first month of the season, it's been a struggle for Madison Bumgarner. His ERA north of five, his batting average on balls in batting average on balls in play is above 300. Madison Bumgarner has turned back into the pumpkin that we saw those first couple years in the D-backs uniform. Not even Brent Strom, the fairy godmother of pitchers, can help uh, can help Madison Bumgarner turn back into an ace. And at this point of his career, I, I don't think anyone is expecting um, Bumgarner to turn back into an ace. But the fatigue issues that Madison Bumgarner describes is not even really affecting his fastball too much. If you look at his fastball velocity, it's been right along with what's been all season in terms of his velocity, miles per hour, stuff like that. But it's his cutter, which is like his go-to pitch, that saw the lowest velocity of any month so far this season. It was basically a mile slower than any other cutter seen over any course of a month when it's been um, tracked. And right now, 
if your cutter is a little bit slower with the lack of command that Madison Bumgarner sometimes shows, like the thing with Madison Bumgarner is his spin rates aren't um, they're good. They, he actually has good spin rates, but his spin rates don't lead to crazy movement. So when you have that cutter slowing down in velocity, it's not moving a lot already, and you can't locate it consistently. It's why you see these opposing batters sometimes just teeing off and locking in against Madison Bumgarner. So for me, what I would do with Madison Bumgarner going forward and probably next season is I think I would start him in the bullpen Give him that Luke Weaver, Caleb Smith treatment. Let him be a long reliever. Put him in in outings where the D-backs either go down early or they go up early. And let him build his value up that way. And then if he performs well and he looks good, you can trade him when his value is the highest and maybe get back, you know, the 30th best prospect in someone else's organization. And you pay half of Madison Bumgarner's salary. The other option is you still start him in the bullpen, but let's say he performs poorly out the bullpen you can still try to trade him but then at that point you might have to give up a decent prospect to get off of his contract and you're still going to have to bite some of the bullet on that money as well so if that second option starts to unfold and play i think i would rather just go the dfa option if we start him in the bullpen and and he performs well then we trade him if we start him in the bullpen and he performs poorly then i think we just straight up dfa him and we just eat the money as opposed to trying to give up a young player to give off the to give up to give off the contract to get off get off not give off get off the contract that's what I wanted to say but whatever it is whatever the scenario is I definitely don't want to see Mad Bum in the rotation next season I'm done with Mad Bum as a starter I think we've all seen enough uh, of Mad Bum like he's been let me see like this is his third year I believe in a D-backs uniform and Right now, I'm going to just pull up his season-by-season um, season stats with the D-backs because first year in Arizona, 6-4-8 year race, second year, 4-6-7, and then this year, 4-5-3. So if you want to make a positive spit about Madison Bumgarner's D-backs tenure, he's gotten better every single season in the D-backs uniform, which doesn't really say much. So right now, for Madison Bumgarner, I definitely don't want to see him in the rotation next year. The signing so far has been a complete disaster by the D-backs. He's like an anchor weighing us down to the bottom of the ocean. So right now, let's figure out a way to limit his role and potentially move him next season. Now, I want to discuss the D-backs 2023 schedule because if Madison Bumgarner is a starter in the rotation, the D-backs schedule might look tougher than it is right now. But if you want to bet on Madison Bumgarner potentially getting moved next year, you should head to betonline.net because it's the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs, find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games, find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information from live in-game betting scores and podcasts. They have you covered. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. BetOnline, where the game starts. get back to the pod and let's discuss some highlights from the D-backs 2023 schedule because like I 
talked about on my pod, I believe yesterday, I just talked about how I hated that the uh, MLB just basically dropped the schedule on a Wednesday, like in the middle of the week. Like, what are we doing here, baseball? Why are we getting the next year's schedule at the end of your season in the middle of a work week as like a little news dump? Like it didn't make any sense. Every sport makes an event while MLB just continues to not do the best job at their marketing strategies. But I did say I love the fact that they had all these new format changes in the schedule because just looking at the D-back schedule in 2023, they're going to have 22 teams visiting Chase Field for the most teams to ever visit Chase Field in franchise history. The D-backs will play 29 other teams next season. I think that's just so much fun. But looking at the D-backs 2023 schedule, it's interesting. I think this schedule is kind of bookended by two really tough months, the first month and the last month of the season. And for the D-backs, they're either going to get off to a strong start or a slow start. And then at the end of the year, if they're in the playoff race, it's going to be a freaking battle and gauntlet if the D-backs are still in the postseason race next year at the end of the season. Because let's look at the front Let's look at the, I almost said front month. Let's look at the first month and the last month of the season for the D-backs next year. Because in the first month of the season next year for the D-backs, they play the Dodgers twice. They play the Padres twice. They play the Brewers, the Cardinals, the Marlins, and the Rockies. And based off what we know from this past season, those are going to be easy games, right? The Dodgers, who we are going to play twice they're always loaded. We know the Dodgers are going to go out there this offseason, probably make a trade, just casually trade for like Shane Bieber and then get Tristan McKenzie in as a throw-in piece salary dump, or they're going to go out there and probably sign someone like, I don't know, Xander Bogarts to be their, their fifth shortstop and backup shortstop off their bench to just their platoon shortstop because they have so much talent. So we know the Dodgers are going to go out there and make moves, so we're Always going to be fearful of the Dodgers because they're a team to be reckoned with. You got the Padres that we have to face in the first month twice, as always. And whenever we play the Padres in the first month of the season, they just seem to own the D-backs. The D-backs, I mean, we've played the Padres, what, the last three opening days with Madison Baumgartner starting? And guess what? It's the same result every year. D-backs usually get crushed in those games um, against the San Diego Padres. And they're, of course, overflowing with talent. They're going to have a full season in Juan Soto. Fernando Tatis Jr. still going to miss the first 40 games of the season. But considering we were getting smacked without Tatis and Soto this year by the Padres, not going to bode well for the D-backs next season. You got the Brewers, who could be shaky next season. Don't love what I'm seeing at the end of this season by the Brewers, but they're still going to have great pitching, so you can't count them out. The Cardinals, they're going to have two top three MVP candidates still with the guys like Miles Mikolas and some other young studs in their lineup. You know, Nolan Gomans of the world, Nolan Gormans of the world, and the Paul DeJong, super young players. So Cardinals are going to be in the mix. And then a team like the Marlins, like, they're probably not going to be good next season, but they're loaded with young talent. That rotation could be one of the best in baseball. Sandy Alcantara is going to win the Cy Young, so they got a lot of talent in Miami. And then got the Colorado Rockies, who believe they're a World Series, you know, or Rust team. So, or Rust, World Series, or Bust team. So, they think they're going to compete, and they're probably going to make a move in the offseason, even though they're a super delusional franchise, and we all know they're nowhere near the postseason mix. Their owner believes they're right there in the conversation for the World Series. So, you can't count out, well, I mean, you can count out the Rockies, but from their own philosophies and perspectives about themselves, I guess you can't count them out, even though on paper we know the Rockies team isn't very good. But like I just mentioned, all those 
teams that we're going to see in the first month outside the Rockies. It's going to be tough. Even the Marlins is going to be tough. So it's not going to be easy for the D-backs out the gates. But if they're able to finish that first month of the season with a near or above 500 record, then I think that will be a great glimpse into the rest of the season for the D-backs because that first month of the season is going to be tough and it's going to be a lot of division rivals and NL opponents to start the season. And I don't know if that's a good or bad thing for the D-backs because you're going to be more familiar with those opponents because they're in your division or your league, but they're also going to be more familiar with you as well. So I don't really know if it's a positive or negative, but when you get to the last month of the season, if you're still in the playoff race, you're not going to be facing as many familiar foes because in the last month of the season, the D-backs play the Baltimore Orioles. They play the Rockies. Again, the Cubs, Mets, Giants, Yankees, White Sox, and Astros. So the D-backs are still fighting for a wild card or playoff spot at the end of the year. It could be a gauntlet because the Cubs and the Rockies... I mean, that should be the easiest matchups of that month. Expect the Cubs to still suck next year. Expect the Rockies to be the worst team in the NL West next season. So that just throw those two teams out at the end of the year. But you got the Mets, who look like one of the best teams in baseball, you know, at least in 2022. The Giants, who still are probably going to be a near 500 team next season, still be scrappy. NL West rival can't count them out. Yankees, Evil Empire, you know they're going to be in the mix. White Sox. Who knows? They could be in that playoff race. It could. That series, D-backs, White Sox, could determine who gets into the postseason. White Sox also have a ton of talent on their roster, so you never know with them. And then the Astros are just guaranteed to make it to the championship series basically every year. So that's going to be a gauntlet for the D-backs. Just look at the last five series. Mets, Giants, Yankees, White Sox, Astros. That is going to be tough to end the year. So when I say the D-backs season is bookended by two tough months, I am not lying with y'all, but I do love the diversity I'm seeing in the schedule because let's get into some highlights because the D-backs are going to be playing so many other teams, like I mentioned earlier. Opening weekend is versus the LA Dodgers, but a series I'm really looking forward to personally, um, Memorial Day weekend, May 26th to 28th, Boston Red Sox are coming to town, so... I'm going to at least two of those three games against the Boston Red Sox. And then we're going to see eight AL, eight American League teams visit Chase Field in 2023. The Royals, the Red Sox, as I just mentioned, the Guardians, the Rays, the Mariners, the Rangers, the Orioles, and the Astros. So super excited already for 2023, but I shouldn't even be thinking about 2023 yet. This is my one of my issues with the schedule dropping so early like why am I already thinking about next season when this season isn't even over yet baseball spread out your content calendar so we don't have so many things overlapping big issue for baseball but hey maybe one day they'll get it figured out Let's talk about Corbin Carroll and the excitement and the hype surrounding him because I think it's time the D-backs call up Corbin Carroll. No more playing around. No more waiting. Let's get Corbin Carroll called up for September because Mike Hazen has suggested he might get called up, but you never know with these GMs and service time manipulation because teams love to lock in that extra year of service time when they can so you could have an extra year of control of not paying your star players so when they're 
ready to get paid, ready to hit free agency at age 31, you're saying, hey, you're on the wrong side of 30. You're too old now. I can't give you that long-term deal, even though you just played the last five years with us on on a barely minimum contract. We can't give you a fat deal now, despite you being an all-star for us multiple times. That's usually what teams do. But for the D-backs, I'm hoping they break that philosophy. And also, the CBA hopes they break that philosophy because we did just have a lockout where they have new CBA rules incentivizing teams to call up their prospect. Because if you call up their prospect, if you call up one of your prospects and they finish high in you know Rookie of the Year or award voting, you can be awarded a pick. And teams love picks. No matter the sport, teams love the idea of an asset that hasn't materialized yet that could turn into a future superstar or a franchise savior. People love potential. People love hope. And that's what a pick is. And so for the D-backs, you could get a pick if you call up Corbin Carroll. But I think... Corbin Carroll would have to be on the roster for his entirety of his rookie campaign. That's the only hiccup. So if he gets called up in September, that means I think he will have to start next season with the D-backs. And who wouldn't want to see that? There are some people who say the D-backs should wait to call up Corbin Carroll and just wait for next season and just give him a full year from start to finish on the major league level. And it's also a meaningless season. The D-backs are out the race. Like, why call him up? for games that don't mean anything, but that's kind of my overall point as to why I believe the D-backs should call, why that, why I believe the D-backs should call up Corbin Carroll. It's because we are in a meaningless part of the season. It's because we are playing games that don't really count for anything, and right now, it's a low pressure environment for Corbin Carroll, so I think it's the best time for a rookie to come up and take his lumps because I just want to see Corbin Carroll swing a bat, and I want to know how good he is at swinging a bat. I don't care if that leads to wins or not. I just care about his own personal production at this point in the season. So why not get him called up right away? If he's not good right away, then let it, Then let Corbin Carroll not be good right away in a season that doesn't matter. Let him get his lumps out now when the games don't mean anything because I think it would be a lot easier as opposed to next year when the D-backs are trying to get off to a nice start because I just told you about the schedule, how hard it is in the beginning. So D-backs are trying to get off to a nice start and then you're trying to mess up the, okay, I'm trying this word again, continuity. I got on my first try again. So you couldn't mess up the continuity by bringing in the level of Corbin Carroll's stature into the locker room or lack thereof because he's not a very big guy. But I'm not saying Corbin Carroll would be some locker room disruptor if you called him up, you know, in the second month of the season next year. But I think it's a lot easier to transition him in at the end of a lost season as opposed to try to transition him in at, you know, somewhere at the beginning of next season, especially when you're trying to jump off to that early start next year. So let's get Corbin Carroll called up right now because the man is absolutely crushing it on the minor league level. Like Corbin Carroll, I'm pulling up his stats right here. In double A this year, in 58 games in double A, 313 average, 1073 OPS, 16 home runs, 20 stolen bases. That was in Amarillo, the sod poodle. So, what did the D backs do? They said, We got to promote you, triple A, Reno Aces, 31 games with the Reno Aces, 306 average, 996 OPS, 7 home runs, 11 stolen bases. On the season, Corbin Carroll has 24 home runs, 31 stolen bases, a 314 average, a 1056 OPS. The man is showing you that he absolutely 
crushes minor league pitching. No one can stop him in the minor leagues. Every time you turn on a highlight or game of Corbin Carroll, the minor leagues, he's crushing, uh, he's crushing it. Think back on August 25th, his most recent game. He was two for two, but he reached base six times in six plate appearances. The man is absolutely insane. He's dynamic. He's got speed. He can play defense. He's got some power. He's going to do so much for this D-backs lineup. And when I think about the, the future of the outfield, of course, we want to see Drew Jones in three years, but just next season, 2023, if I got Corbin Carroll, Dalton Varsho, and Alec Thomas in my outfield next season, just those three make me one of the arguably the best defensive outfield, arguably the most dynamic outfield in baseball. And I would really be excited to do I would really be excited to see those three playing the outfield next season. And speaking of Alec Thomas, he's someone that I really want to see finish strong because he's someone that's getting, you know, talked about a lot right now with the D-backs because he's someone that started strong with the D-backs, but he's kind of floundered here a little bit over the last couple months because when he broke into the majors, his first 48 plate appearances, he had a slash line of 326, 354, 609. He looked really good to start in those first 50 plate appearances. But over his next 210 plate appearances, his slash line, 225, 290, 335. And I don't think Tori Lovello did him a lot of services with all the jerking around in the lineup. You're back second, seventh, eighth, first, ninth. Like, I don't think that helped out um, Alec Thomas at all. But in August, he's been slightly better, batting 257 with 290 average on balls in play over 74 plate appearances. So it's 34 points higher than what he was doing during that 210 plate appearance sample. But overall, the big issue for Alec Thomas when you look at his numbers and his splits and you dive deeper is the fact that he's not elevating the ball. When Alec Thomas is elevating the ball for line drives and fly balls, he's a way better player than when he's hitting ground balls because if you look at his when you look at Alec Thomas's splits, whenever his play appearances end in a fly ball or line drive, 102 play appearances that end in a fly ball or line drive, his slash line 406, 402, 792. But when his Plate appearance ends in a ground ball slash line. It's like batting below 200 with like a 300 slugging percentage and just absolutely disgusting stats. And the issue is for Alec Thomas is that he hits a ground ball 58.7% of the time, highest rate among all MLB players with 300 play appearances. So he's quite literally one of the best players in baseball when he's hitting a line drive or fly ball and arguably the worst player in baseball when he's hitting ground ball. And the issue is he hits ground balls at a higher rate than pretty much anyone in Major League Baseball. So we know Alec Thomas, elite defense, elite sprint speed, elite at making contact, but he's not elite at elevating that ball right now and so for him that's what he has to work on this summer because I don't think Alec Thomas is going to be like a 30 home run guy but I do think he could be 15 to 20 home runs and be a huge double guy be top five in the National League in doubles with 15 to 20 home runs as well I think that's possible for Alec Thomas but to do it he's going to have to elevate his swing because right now his launch angle is 2.1 degrees which is by far the worst on the team so I'm still high on Alec Thomas I'm still super high on Alec Thomas I still believe in him as a prospect a player and being the future future center fielder of the D-backs for the foreseeable future, but my man does have some work to do in the lab this summer. Now that's it for this edition of a Locked on Dimebacks podcast. 
Come back next week for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. It's Friday, so go catch up on any pods you might have missed this week. We talked a whole lot about the MLB schedule and their lack of MLB uh, and the lack of their marketing issues or, you know, just their overall marketing problems. So go back and catch up on any pods you might have missed this week. Come back next week for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. Thank you for making Lockdown Dimebacks your first listen every day. Make your second listen of the day. Lockdown MLB with Al Powell, Sully Baseball. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy. Deuces.